And I sat back down and I was sitting next to an elderly woman. And she said to me, that was a really smooth move, but you have no chance with her. And I laughed and I said, well, you're probably right, but how do you know I have no chance with her? She goes, you don't know who that is? And I said, no, I I don't know who that is. And I would say it was very early in her career. Um, It was... Welcome once again to 32 Thoughts. Holy smokes, Patrick Kane. Presented as always by our friends at GMC and the GMC Sierra. Holy smokes, Patrick Kane. Jeff Merrick along with you, alongside Elliot Friedman, alongside Dom Shramati, and holy smokes, Elliot Friedman, Patrick Kane. Did it not have to end that way? I mean, they say that hockey has no poets. Ladies and gentlemen, if hockey has no poets, I disagree because Patrick Kane scores the overtime winner, Chris Chelios night, returning to the United Center, Detroit and Chicago, great rivals, and the star of the show is Showtime, number 88, Patrick Kane. You know how they say that the NFL is scripted? Hmm. This... You would believe the NHL was scripted. A wonderful night in Chicago that began with an outstanding Chris Chelios jersey retirement ceremony that we'll talk about in a few minutes that continued with a fantastic ovation for Kane in his first game back in Chicago as a visitor. Ends with Kane scoring the overtime winner. Look out here. Look at this. Look at this. You would have thought that Tarantino or the Coen brothers or Billy Wilder were working on that script that because it was just too perfect. It was brilliant. And the only negative was that Kane almost ran over the pride of armor heights, Jake Wallman <laughs> for trying to get in the way of his post game yeah. celebration. Yeah. You know, a- there are, there are famous games. Like if you go back to the Chelio speech, like, he specifically didn't want to mention the Detroit Red Wings. He called them Michiganders, right? Because you know the rivalry. I wonder when the last time the Chicago Blackhawks fans cheered for a Red Wing winning goal, if ever, yeah. like they cheered yeah. for that one. That was an they, awesome night yeah. there. Awesome night. They love him. And listen, don't look now, but Patrick Kane is playing some great hockey like of recent no like this isn't like i mean this is just the most recent overtime winner go back to thursday in the game against the colorado avalanche now one it's a great play by dylan larkin i mean great play by dylan larkin to draw two avalanche players freeing up patrick kane a beautiful behind the back pass but at the end of it that's patrick kane's overtime winner and then sunday it's patrick kane's overtime winner underscoring what i'm saying here elliot and that is kane's hot and playing great hockey right now this is working out beautifully for Detroit. Yes, they, and you know, they're in it. Like if you take a look at their uh, analytics, uh, they're not actually a team that has a ton of chances in five on five, but they score. When they get chances, they score. And 
they're grabbing a stranglehold on a playoff spot. They're moving up the ladder. They're getting hot at the right time. Um, you know, the, like some of their young players, like Lucas Raymond in particular, is having a big year. Some of their veterans, Perron's had a big year. Uh, Kane has gotten really hot. Alex Lyon for the second year in a row. Oh, boy. Like, Alex Lyon is the best bargain contract maybe in the NHL. Like Steve Eiserman is managing that team like he is expected to make the playoffs. And Alex Lyon bailed them out this year, just like he did Florida last year. But the Red Wings are getting hot at just the right time. And that was, you know, that was a fantastic, fantastic night. If mm-hmm. And look, we had Yarmer Yager last week. We had Patrick Keane and Chris Chelios this week. What's going to happen next Sunday? Who's going to come yeah. up with something for next Sunday? We better do a really good podcast next Sunday, Elliot. The bar is high around hockey these yeah, days. Yeah, that, that's not going to happen. We already know that. You know, you know, Jeff, th- there have been some famous times where uh, players or opposing teams really get cheered in their former buildings. Guy Lafleur, when, when he went back to Montreal, um, they cheered for Lafleur that that night. There was a famous one in 1975. Eddie Jockerman, he goes back to New York uh, oh. with with the Red Wings. Tears he was a former in his Ranger, eyes. a beloved Tears. Ranger, Tears and they booed the eyes. Rangers that night, and they cheered yes. the Red Wings. Oh, like incredible. it's what knowing the rivalry, it was it was wild to see Chicago fans cheering for Detroit at the end of that game. And you'll remember last year. Like the thing about it that's really amazing is Taves, in his last game last year, he had the breakaway against Philadelphia and Felix Sandstrom stopped it. And this time in his first game back, Kane gets the breakaway and he scores. It was a beautiful way to wrap up a beautiful night, Elliot. What did you think of the Chris Chelios ceremony? Uh, great ceremony, great ceremony. Number one, I want to shout out the Chicago Blackhawks video production team the videos they put together the music was excellent and the pictures were excellent going back to when he was traded to chicago from montreal the montage of things like the fresh prince you know what was big back Mm -hmm. then brought back a lot of memories it was edited and cut superbly it was put together superbly real credit to the Blackhawks video production team. I did want to mention uh, a few other things that, that really stood out to me from uh, the speech that Chelios gave in the a whole event. Um, you know, there were some great stories. Um, you know, Pat Boyle, who hosted the broadcast with John Scott, he told the story uh, that I never heard before. I don't know if Blackhawks fans knew this one. I didn't know this one, that Kenny Holland went to Chris Chelios in 2010 and said, do you want to go back to Chicago for this Stanley Cup run with the Blackhawks? And Pat Boyle said that Chelios refused to go. He said that this is their generation, this is their team, and I don't want to interfere with it. And I'd never heard that story before. I think that was uh, a great story. Uh, Gretzky telling the story on the, uh, on, by, it was audio. He didn't speak. It was audio about how Chelios was one of the few guys who scared him and that if Chelios was coming up behind him, he would warn him and say, I'm coming. I thought that was uh, a great story. Um, 
uh, Chelios told a couple of great stories. You know, first of all, he mentioned uh, Bob Probert. I-, I thought that was really special that he mentioned uh, the late Bob Probert. Uh, he talked about how one of two players from Chicago to have the numbers retired uh, by Chicago teams, Dick Butkus of the Bears being another one, and uh, how he ran into some of Butkus's uh, family members at a sauna the morning of the ceremony. I just thought he was uh, really gracious, and he mentioned that he had money on the board to beat the Red Wings and Patrick Kane that night. Everything about that whole ceremony I thought was really beautifully done from the production to the way Chelio spoke of his family and the people who were there and the people who weren't there. I thought it was a great, great ceremony. And it reminded me when he talked about his trade from Montreal to Chicago, he talked about how Sarah Savard said, I traded you home. Pat Burns, I was once in a scrum where Pat Burns told the story of how he found out about that trade. And um, he said that Sarah Savard, who was the general manager, called him on that summer day. He was traded on June 29th, 1990. And Pat Burns said that Sir Savard called him and said, congratulations, Pat. I just got you Denny Savard. And he said, Great. Who do we have to give up? <laughs> and Savard said, we gave up Chris Chelios. And Pat Burns said, what? <laughs> and Sir Savard, hearing the reaction, said, oh, Pat, my other line's ringing. I've got to call you back. And he said, Savard didn't call him back for like a month because <laughs> he knew how angry yeah. Pat Burns was going to be about that trade. Okay, speaking of that trade, um, I think I can tell this story now. Actually, matter of fact, I think we might have mentioned. Yes, it on air. yes, you can. Um, this is about the picks with these two. Do you know this story about the picks? Not off the top of my so, head. So, <laughs> in that draft, so the two general managers are Mike Keenan and Serge Savard, who made the deal. So the deal was made, and then Savard. This is what Keenan told me. Called uh, called Mike and said, "Look, my owner needs something more. I know we've already agreed on the trade." but we need more in this deal. And Keenan said, look, we'll do something else. Uh, we can't change it right now. We'll do something else at a later date and I'll get you a second round pick back. And then Keenan said he was never able to fulfill the deal because he got fired before he could make another trade and send that second round pick back to the Montreal Canadiens. So technically, the Montreal Canadiens are still owed a second round draft pick from the Chicago Blackhawks. Going back to 1990. Yeah, I'm sure they'll get right on that. <laughs> they'll go get, get right, sure the right Blackhawks on that one. <laughs> we'll get right there. File the grievance now. File the grievance now, Montreal. Chicago owes you a second-round draft pick. I thought it was awesome. Like you've heard me talk about Chelios before. Um, he's one of my. Yeah, he's great, one of great person. One of my favorite yes, players. Great person. One of my favorite players of all time. Um, you know, one of probably my favorite U.S.-born player of all time. I am all. Of, I've always been all about Chris Chelios. And again, like you know me, I love the guy that needs to be dragged, kicking and screaming off the ice. I love that Peter Forsberg had to be dragged off the ice, and I love that Chris Chelios needed to be dragged off the ice. I got all the time in the world for Chris Chelios, and I thought that was a that was a tremendous ceremony. The other thing we were reminded about here is that Chris Chelios knows everyone. Oh, jeez, no kidding. <laughs> yes, 
<laughs> That's clear. <laughs> he is the Kevin Bacon of hockey. In the entertainment industry, six it's six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Oh, and hockey, it's six degrees of Chris Chelios. That's a great line. You know, a, a couple a couple other things. I had a couple of people text me watching the Chelio ceremony yeah. of one of their favorite pieces that we ever did at uh, CBC, which was Chris Chelios when he played with the Atlanta Thrashers. Oh yeah, and we I like like so he's famous for his love of the saunas, and if you know Chris Chelios. Uh, we he took the exercise bike into the saunas as he actually did all the time. And uh, so in the American Hockey League with the Chicago Wolves at the time, Anthony Stewart was on that team. So he brings the the exercise cycle into the sauna. Mm-hmm. And of course, we go in there with him. Well, what am I wearing? I'm wearing a suit and tie. <laughs> and so I'm in the sauna with Chris Chelios doing his cycling sweating everything out and I'm in a suit and tie and it does look ridiculous. I just remember people at the time ripping me for how stupid I looked in a sauna in a suit and tie. You know, I think speaking of Atlanta, there was, and I, I'm just doing this off the top of my head. I believe this to be the answer. I think we might've talked about it before Elliot. Do you remember who they paired Chelios with? He only played a handful of games with Thrashers, but they paired him with Zach Bogosian. I was going to say Zach Bogosian. So it was Zach Bogosian now. Chelios was 47 years old. Bogosian was 18. That is a 28-year gap between the two, which I believe, Elliot, is the record. Well, I've got to think Gordy Howe. No, but no, no, no. I mean, but he was no, a no, no. But I mean, like, yeah, for as yes. far as like you know, defense pairs, like the age gap between defense pairs, I think that must mm. be it, right? Forty-seven and nineteen. <laughs> that's got to be. That's got to be the oldest, doesn't it? That has to be the record. I can't think of anyone off the top of my There's head. There's a fully formed and grown adult human being in between the two of them, essentially, yeah. at 28 years old. Anyhow, um, you could talk about Chelios forever. Uh, and we probably will continue to talk about Chris Chelios uh, forever. Congratulations. Uh, the number is very much where it belongs. And a great ovation. Oh, yeah. And a great ovation for Patrick Keane, too. You know, the Red Wings, they're on a shooting heater, too. By the way, the, if you look at the under nine numbers, uh, creating chances on five and five, they're not they're among the lower teams, but they're high in goals. So it's kind of like Vancouver in a sense, but they clobbered St. Louis. They scored three times before the Blues even had a shot. They're hot at the right time and they're creating separation. You know, the other thing, too, is and I, I do believe this Um there is something about it's been too long to see the Red Wings in the playoffs. And, you know, if you're a person who wants to see revenue grows, Detroit's new arena in the playoffs, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. But it's it's been too long. Like The Red Wings are one of the NHL's bellwether franchises. It's been too long, and we need to see them relevant again. And like I said in the last pod, Steve Eiserman is managing like a GM whose mandate is to get them in the playoffs. And right now they're there. They control their own destiny. Um, there's been a lot of talk on the weekend. Emily Kaplan mentioned it about an extension coming potentially for David Perron. He's been a perfect fit there. I'm not sure 
if Kane will do an extension in season or not, but he's been a great fit there. Mm. Um, I, I don't know what they put into his body, but you look at him now and you look at him a year That's ago, great. it's not even the same person. The procedure he got this off season has worked wonders for him. Um, but it's important to have the Red Wings relevant. I, I don't think it's good for the league when teams go too long without being in the playoffs. I'm from the Pete Rozelle NFL here. He, the joke about him was he wanted uh, 32, 8 and 8 teams. I don't want that, but I don't like when teams miss the playoffs for too long. That's why I kind of root for Buffalo right now. I just don't think it's good when teams are out of the playoffs too long. I want to see the Red Wings back in. You know, Jeff, the the other thing I just wondered about this game is, I think we believe that at the end of last year, Chicago had closed the book on that era of the Blackhawks. I just wonder if there's any chance now, after seeing the way that night went, that that could change. Patrick Kane playing with Connor Bedard. Patrick Kane goes back to Chicago. Look, Look, I have no insight in this. As with most things, I have no insight on anything. Uh, but... Uh, just just watching that. And and Kane was asked about it post-game, and he kind of downplayed it a bit. And I understand it's it's probably still uh, pretty raw. But just after watching that whole night and the great show that the organization put on and the way the fans reacted and Kane, the way he played himself, I, I just can't help but wonder if it could be possible. Okay, so circling back, a great night for an American hockey hero and also, Elliot, Sunday was a great night for a Canadian overtime hockey hero. Sidney Crosby, one goal, three assists, Penguins over the Philadelphia Flyers, 7-6, to six, a game ripped out of the pages of 1987. So, Elliot, your thoughts on number 87, Sidney Crosby. Well, when, when I was working on the show for Saturday night and just asking around about what's going on, Someone said to me, you know what the worst news is for the for the Pittsburgh Penguins? And I said, what's that? I almost called them the Critzburg Penguins. That's like the Crosby-Pittsburgh Penguins. It's a Freudian um, slip when you're thinking about one thing, but you say a mother. That's pretty good. Very good, Jeff. Thank you. But the, So I said, what's that? And he said, they're going to Canada next week. Like This is the worst time <laughs> to go to Canada. <laughs> It is, yes, absolutely. Continue. You think all these teams in the West, Edmonton and Calgary and Vancouver, aren't going to be happy to see Pittsburgh now? Talk about those guys in the other room for a change. Uh, so, you know, they're battling, they're scrapping, uh, their math isn't great, um, but Crosby is just carrying them. Like that game on Sunday was last shot wins. I really thought we were going to go to overtime 7-7 and the team that won the opening faceoff in overtime was going to win the game. But Crosby just would not let them lose. That was a, that was a huge win for Pittsburgh. And... Look, there's a lot going on there right now. And I, I think the thing about Dubas is because uh, his advantage in this case is that he worked in Toronto, so he understands the maelstrom. He know, And this is probably child's play to him on some level. What, what, you think this is a controversy? You should have seen what I just lived through the last five years. 
and, and because I don't think they're trading, they're not trading Crosby, they're not trading Malkin, they're not trading Latang. So it's not like he's he's trading a franchise cornerstone. I think if he was trading one of those guys, or if that was facing him, then it's a much much different animal. But instead, he can say, "Look, I, I've been through this before. It's different because he's he's doing a kind of." in progress rebuild as opposed to chasing the Stanley Cup but he has seen it in the hottest market he can handle this but every win allows him just to bide his time a little bit more because he can trot out the line these guys have earned their respect they have earned the right for me to wait as long as I possibly can. So after a win like that one, that keeps them in the race and everybody out there can make their predictions of whether or not they think the Penguins are going to make it or not. But every win that keeps them in the race, Dubas can just sit back and say, I'm going to read the market while these guys play it out. And Crosby, once again, refuses to let them Go away. He was great. He, that was a that was an entertaining game, a huge win. Um, okay, so a, a couple of things there. And hearing you talk about Crosby, hard to deny that. I mean, even the most casual of hockey observers uh, can see what he is doing, uh, pulling in one direction while the, uh, you know, some of the forces of losing are pulling the other direction here. You know, that's the very definition of the Hart Trophy, Elliot. Regardless of they make the playoffs or not, and I know we're all you know, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs about Austin Matthews and 70 goals and automatic hard trophy. And, you know, Nikita Kucherov just hit the century mark and uh, Nathan McKinnon is doing Nathan McKinnon things on a consistent basis. We saw some more of that on Saturday on Hockey Night in Canada. But if you look at the very definition of what the hard trophy is, regardless of playoffs or not, tough to say no to Sidney Crosby when he's doing this. I, I just don't think without playoffs, I, I, I know that it got bent a couple of years ago for Adam Fox. I, I just don't see it. Nothing in the definition. No, the I know. That says, Look, Hey Webster, don't bring me the dictionary. Okay. <laughs> like I know there's nothing in there that says mm-hmm. that you can't vote for him. And if people want to vote for him, Go ahead. I got no problem with that. I just don't see the majority of the voters going that way. Although I concede it did happen a couple of years ago with Adam Fox and the Norris. Maybe I'll be wrong, but that's the way I see it. Now, the other thing I just wanted to mention about the Penguins is it's pretty clear to me that after they lost at home to L.A. in the Yager retirement night, mm. that teams started calling them and they said, what exactly is available here and again i the cornerstone players are not available i think there's other players that have trade protection that they're really not eager to go to Um, i've heard that they said they are going to try to respect trade protection as much as they can um, and, and so unless you're going to blow them away for someone who has a no trade or a no move, who's not a cornerstone player. And like, for example, I, I think one of those guys is Brian Rust. He's got a, like, I've heard Pittsburgh told teams, we're going to re- try to respect the protection here. And Rust actually got hurt yeah, on Sunday, uh, unfortunately. Um, so, but other than that, there you know, what Dubas apparently told teams was it is his job to learn the market for these players. 
And one position, and someone actually called me on Sunday morning and told me there's been some talk around Pittsburgh that the Penguins are going to trade a goalie. Now, initially, my assumption was Nedeljkovic. He's making 1-5. He's a UFA after this year. I know he had a really rough night in that game uh, last week that they lost on Thursday night, the one in overtime against the Islanders. But generally, he's been very good. And I could see some teams who need like a B, a 1B, who could really use him. But somebody said that this is not limited to Nedeljkovic, that I think teams have asked about Jari. Uh, I think teams have asked about Blomqvist, who's their top prospect, who's played very well in Wilkes-Barre this year. Um, so what I do think there is that Pittsburgh has an extra goalie and they will listen. That is not impossible. A goalie moves out of Pittsburgh. I mean, look, if you're trying to win, and they are, even though he's doing a retool, I still think they want to compete. It's kind of hard to see Jari being the one who goes. He's the best goalie they have. He leads the league in shutouts. I mean, the only concern I have about Jari is he gets hurt a lot. Like, that's that's something that makes you a little bit nervous, especially since he's signed to term. But people just said to me, it's not impossible a goalie goes here. So... In addition to everything else we're thinking of with Pittsburgh, that's another thing to put on the radar, too. Uh, interesting on headlines, uh, some of the teams that you mentioned, swinging back to Jake Gensel, Vegas, Vancouver, Edmonton, Florida, Carolina. The caveat to all of that is there has to be more <laughs> when you have someone like Jake, yes. Jake Gensel available. You know, on in the last pod, we talked about Detroit. I don't know that Detroit's interested and it's not like Iserman is volunteering information to anyone, but there are a lot of people who see it as a fit. You know, the one thing about Iserman is, is that uh, they have a spot on the left side there. It, it certainly is a positional fit on the team. But what a couple of people said to me is, if you look at his recent contracts, he does not like term for the veterans, right? You know, like Larkin got a big extension at 27. He's the captain. Um, you know, Comfort got five years. He just turned 28. But look at a lot of their other deals. DeBrinket's 26. He got four years. Um, you know, Cop is signed for four more years. He's 29. Um, Rasmussen, who's 24, just signed a four-year deal. If you're going to trade for Gensel and signing him, you're going to have to sign for seven or eight years. Like, there's just no other way that this is going to happen. And I had a few teams tell me that it's not what Iserman really wants to do. Now, I've got to think he's going to do, eventually when he signs Cider, I've got to think he's going to do that for him. And I would bet they're going to take a run at Lucas Raymond at some point. But those two guys are 22 and 21 years old. But the, the, the only flaw in my argument people really thought was it's against what Iserman tends to do to give seven and eight year deals to 30 year olds. It's if you look at his base of work, he avoids it. He really tries to avoid it. The one thing sticking with Detroit, and I threw this in my notes this week, is um, uh, someone that I spoke with said that uh, don't be surprised if he goes after someone on the back end 
Uh, this person I talked to said, don't be surprised if Eisman gets someone who's smelly. And I said, what do you mean by smelly? And he said, hard to play against. That's what I mean by smelly. I know they have a lot of defense because that was my argument back. I'm like, where are they going to find room for another defenseman? And this person said to me, don't be surprised if you're looking for one type of defenseman specifically. So they don't have that one guy that's nails to play against. Don't be surprised if Eisen, I would agree Eisen, with Eisen that. goes in that direction. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a I, few I that are that. that are out there. You know, I would wonder about whether you know Nikita Zadorov or Matt Dumbar or something like that. But it wouldn't surprise me if if that's a direction that's uh, that he goes there. Okay, we've put it off long enough, Elliot. We've talked about Crosby and Chelios and the Wings, Matt Rempe. And the New York Rangers, you talk about a week. There's the NHL oh debut. Goodness. There's the fight with Matt Martin. Uh, there's the situation against New Jersey with Nathan Bastion. There's, a, oh, yeah, there's a game-winning goal in here as well. And there's a fight with Nick DeLaurier. Um, and then there's a fight on Sunday against Matthew Olivier, where Olivier took him down. That was a really good fight. He's yeah. been, like All of his scraps have been entertaining, even going back to preseason when he fought Ross Johnston, then of the New York Islanders. What a week it's been for Matt Rempe. That is how you make an impact, Elliot, although it's tough not to make an impact when you're six foot eight. Yeah, I saw some six foot eight guys who didn't make the impact, even in the NBA, <laughs> who didn't make the impact that Matt Rempe did this week. Daryl Sutter always used to say this. Does a player have an identity? I always remember that Daryl Sutter said that. He didn't like players who didn't have identities. Good, bad, something. Um, you know, I, I remember there was one time when Denny Goche played for Calgary under Sutter and some other team was mad about something that Goche did on the ice and Sutter just looked at the reporter and goes, at least he's got an identity. There's a lot of guys on this team that don't. And the Rangers aren't really like that, but... Um, I, I under, always understood that point. I knew what Sutter was getting across there. You know, look, I think I'm like a lot of people. I, I just wonder how much is too much. Look, I'm as guilty of this as a- anyone else. There's those players, there used to be five guys on a team like Rempe. Now there's not even 10 guys in the league like him. So it's unique. It's different. Those Philly fans watching him and Delorier and in the warm-up and then in the game, like nobody was running to the concession stands when that was happening. But also there's a reason this doesn't happen anymore. And Matt, And now what we see is, Every tough guy on every team is like, okay, when do I have the Rangers on my schedule? You know, like, for example, next Saturday night's the Rangers in Toronto. You don't think Ryan Reeves is potentially thinking about this? Hmm, this guy's pretty interesting. I just don't think that that's where we can go here. And, you know, like, I understand everyone's caught up in it. I'm just as guilty as everyone else. I'm caught up in it. Rempe's young. He doesn't want to say no to anybody. He understands that some of these veterans are giving him a chance, so he has to give other people a chance. But now you also have to say, okay, like, it's not good for him to be doing this every night. Olivier is a tough customer. The other thing is, and I got a text from somebody who was watching the game, and, and I thought this was a a very fair point. He said that 
Rempe still needs to learn how to defend himself before he does this all the time. And I, and I, I wanted to bring that up. I wanted to mention that I want this to be a good story because here's a kid, Canadian kid, Calgary, like literally takes the NHL by storm. Uh, seems like a really nice kid. His interviews have been really good, but there's a thin line between this becoming a, a good story or a fun story and this becoming a much more serious story. And look, like Peter Laviolette's been around a long time. Uh, Chris Drury's been around a long time. I think there's people in that Ranger organization who should be able to handle this and say, okay, we're going to set some guidelines here so he doesn't have to do it every night. This is not something he should have to do every night, particularly when he's still learning how to do it properly. So that's what I thought watching it on Sunday. Um, you're not going to win every fight. I think it's I, I think it's a great story. He seems like a very likable kid. Hockey fans love it. I just don't, I, I just think there has to be, like Sunday night was the first time it kind of went to that line for me, Jeff, where I said, this has a chance not to be fun. So how do we make it so it doesn't get to a bad place? There were a couple of moments in the Delorier fight where I thought, oh, oh this isn't going to go very well for this kid. Like when Delorier really got his balance and started hammering, I was like, oh, geez. This kid's young. Nick Delorier is one of the toughest in the league. Like I don't, I don't know about this, but he, he hung in there and he did great. But I know what yeah. you mean about Matthew Olivier. Like that is like, oh, okay. Like I know you can look at every card uh, and every team and say, okay, they're going to call up this guy. Oh, look, this guy's going to dress just for me, and we can put on a show. But I know that it's. I mean, look, Elliot, you and I are the same vintage. I mean, this used to happen all the time. The new kid came up and he did the tour. Right. Mm -hmm. And he didn't matter who, like whether it was Ty Domi or whether it was Donald Brashear or whether it was Tony Twist or whomever. Like when you're young, you did the tour, but it's 2024. And I don't know that we need kids doing the tour anymore. Like right. a lot of these other guys did. But Jeff, like I, I, I trust that the Rangers with some experienced people in their organization will get to this and they will figure out a way to properly manage it. Because, you know, it, it, somebody does have to step in and say, hey, we understand, but this is a different era, so we're going to limit it. And I think that's okay. All right, speaking of tough teams, um, the Philadelphia Flyers. So we talked about the Penguins. That was a thrilling game against the Flyers. Tough one for the team in orange, I get it. Um, and this one came with a cost, too. Jamie Drysdale, uh, clean yeah. hit, Jansen Harkins, steps up on him. Right away, he grabs the shoulder, and he's gone. And you can tell right away, this is serious. Uh, we don't have an update at the time of this recording. Uh, hopefully, Jamie Drysdale is okay. We cross our fingers. Uh, yet at the same time, I think one of the thoughts we have once you get past, I hope Jamie Drysdale is okay, is what does this mean now for Sean Walker? And what does this mean for Nick Sealer? With Ristolainen out, now you add Drysdale. If he's out for any length of time, how much did Danny Breer's world just get complicated here? If, look, I, I think this. The Philadelphia Flyers are still taking a big picture look at their organization. Assuming that's the case, and I have no reason to believe that it isn't the case, then I believe that it doesn't change anything at all. Because 
what Daniel Briere should be thinking about is what's my line to resign these two guys and what's my line to trade these guys? And the answer is should be unchanged based on Jamie Drysdale's injury. Unless the only way it changes, Jeff, is if the Flyers have decided they want to make the playoffs. Like I, I have a friend who's, who's a Devils fan and he said, look, if they trade these guys and Drysdale's injured, then we still have a game in hand and they've got a tougher schedule. We could catch them. And I admire the optimism. Uh, that's what a Devils fan should be thinking right now. But if you're Philadelphia, unless you've decided we're making the playoffs, that shouldn't change a thing. What you're deciding with Sealer and Walker should have nothing to do with Drysdale's injury. What this gives you is it gives you a chance to put another kid in the lineup and give them some chance to see what they can do. Or someone else has to take some more responsibility. Now, you wrote, and I stole it from you, that there's teams... <laughs> we talked about it earlier in the year that Walker and Sealer yeah. were being thought about as a duo. Do you have any theories on who might be considering this? My initial thought was the Tampa Bay Lightning. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that to be no. accurate? I don't now. Mm. I don't I don't believe that it is Tampa. I don't. I think uh a lot of us would have wondered about the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah. For example, we know that Brad Treliving, but I don't think that that's I don't think that that's accurate. The two that I wondered about were were Toronto and Tampa, mm -hmm. but I don't, I, I, I'm, I can't say with one hundred percent certainty that that it's those two teams. The reason I wondered about Toronto is that you know they tried to do it earlier in the year with Zadorov and Tanev, but there have been some players in Toronto that have really solidified their positions in the last couple of weeks. Uh, initially, people were like, "Oh, Toronto's five and zero, oh, but they haven't beaten anyone." Well, now they've pounded Vegas and they beat Colorado. The last two Stanley Cup champions, I know Vegas is missing people. It was still an impressive win, and it's hard to overlook that. But I, I did think about Toronto, too. You know, all of a sudden for Toronto, a lot of their guys who are UFAs are getting hot. McMahon, Domi, Bertuzzi, the hat trick the other night. I'm curious to see... Does Toronto just let this all play out? You know, Simon Benoit, he's not a UFA. He's got our, he's headed to arbitration. They got a lot. Like, remember a couple of months ago, people were saying, you know what, Toronto's guys, all these one-year guys didn't work out. All of a sudden, they're starting to look a lot better. It's going to be interesting to see what Toronto does here in terms of roster construction they might just be best off to let it all play out now the other thing they've got this week is wool played his first game in the american hockey league on friday he was excellent they didn't dress him saturday they still could play him in more ahl games if they want to but jeff what do you think here you go with three goalies do you risk putting martin jones on waivers do you go with three or what do you do I don't know that I would risk putting Martin Jones on waivers right now. I I I I, uh, I, I, I agree think, with I that. I think you kind of have to go with three right now. Short term, you got to go with three. Do you, do you disagree? I, I'm beginning yeah. to think the same thing. No, 
No, no. You've had such a weird year, and Jones stabilized your year, yeah. your season. Because they, Wall was like, those Laval Rocket, Crash it was one net. of those nights where an Crash AHL team's net. like, it was, it was, it was like, it was like Slapshot. There's scouts, scouts in the building. Scouts? Contracts in their hands. Came to see the Chiefs. <laughs> that was one of those nights like, oh, Wall's playing. People yeah. are going to be watching. We're going to, we're going to yeah. be all over him. So that's, uh, that's another one to watch, to watch there for Toronto. And the right hand D. They continue looking at the right-hand D. By the way, am I the only guy who thought McKinnon was going to score there at the buzzer? Oh, it was lining up. I thought that shot was going in. After that race down the ice, 100%. Oh, my God. After Tavares misses the empty net, Nathan McKinnon grabs the puck and goes the other way. You're thinking, like, all day long, this is is hero time for Nathan McKinnon. I I think, honestly, Elliot, everybody who's watched the league this year thought (laughs) McKinnon was going to score there. Well, so I did too, but, you know, Toronto, I think some of the players have earned their spots on that blue line. So I'm not as sure, you know, I have to say again, this is purely my speculation. Um, I, I don't know this. I'm purely guessing. I wondered about a team like Dallas. And the reason I wondered about it is that I was told on Saturday night, as I mentioned, that Dallas has been incredibly aggressive. Incredibly aggressive. They think they can win the Stanley Cup this year, and they should. They, they could win the Stanley Cup this year. And if you look at their blue line, you know, could you see a situation where they could get a righty and a lefty? I mean, I see a righty for sure. The left side is Harley, who's had a great year. Lindell, who's who's been a longtime guy there, and and Ryan Suter. And, and look, Ryan Suter had a big night the other night against Carolina. Uh, someone who watched that game said they thought that was the best game he played all season. Um, and but the one thing about Ryan Suter is I, I know he's a bit of a lightning rod for Dallas fans. I've had a couple of people tell me. Go back and watch the Minnesota series in the first round last year. That was a mean series, as we all know, Jeff, a very mean series. They said that one of the players on the ice who was the meanest in a good way was Ryan Suter. And maybe it was because it was his former team and he was determined to beat them. But there were people who thought that Suter was a real difference maker in a very mean series. So... I don't know. Um, I, I just, like like I said, someone said to me, Dallas is very aggressive. They smell that they're going to win. I think they're in on Tanov, obviously. I mean, I know they're in on Tanov. You know, Ron asked after the game on Saturday night, is there a team that would try to get Hannafin and Tanov together? And I, I believe Calgary has generally resisted that because they think they can get more for individuals like they resisted Toronto's deal they Vancouver tried to do Tanev and Lindholm they said no again you know I mean if you were Dallas would you think about at all Hannafin and Tanev watching them play on Saturday night I would do that if I could but again that's I I want to stress that's based on no information other than me spitballing because teams have told me nobody's talking about Dallas 
and they think they can win and they are governing themselves accordingly. A couple of things there. I'm of the belief that, uh, and I wrote part of this in the, uh, in, in the notes this week, um, I'm of the belief that they want a second pair right shot D, but it would make sense for them to want an entirely new second pair behind, behind Haskinen and Harley. I could completely see that. I could see them having an entirely new second pair, and I could see see I could see Sealer and uh, and 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 Walker there. That does make a lot of sense. And both like both do different things, right? And Sealer adds a little bit of nastiness. Well, not a little bit. Mm-hmm. He has a lot of nastiness uh, on the back end as well. And they add a puck mover in in Walker. It makes a ton of sense for Dallas to do that. To the previous point, um, I believe it was Oscar Wilde. Elliot. Oh my God. They may bring this up. Oscar Wilde. Hold on. Who once, I think, on his deathbed said, well, either I go or the drapes. Um, uh, He said, talent borrows, but genius steals. So don't feel too bad about lifting that report for Saturday, courtesy of Oscar Wilde. Well, either I go or these drapes go. Um, all right. Elsewhere around the NHL. How do we go from Matt Rempe to Oscar Wilde? Welcome to 32 Thoughts, the podcast, folks. Hey, you know you what? And Ron. You, you know you who, and uh, Ron. <laughs> you know who, um, Elliot, you know who did himself a lot of good this weekend when it comes to trade deadline, maybe finding a new home, maybe establishing and getting a foothold somewhere else. And I don't know about being this year's version of Ivan Barbashev, but Anthony Mantha of the Washington Capitals. And Anthony Mantha's having a real good season. He's scoring goals this year. And he was able to do what a lot of people have only dreamed (laughs) they'd be able to do, and that is fight Nick Cousins. You don't think that got got noticed around the NHL on Sunday? I'm sure it did. No question about it. Uh, You know, Washington's been trying to trade Mantha for a long time. But now we're coming down to the time where he's the UFA and the salary isn't as much anymore. He's gotten hot at the right time. And there's going to be someone who's going to say, we're going to take a chance because he's playing for his next deal. And he'll be highly motivated to play for his next deal. I have no doubt that's the case. You know any teams looking for a left winger? Maybe the team that doesn't get bunch. Jake Ensel. Look, uh, I know look, a bunch. You don't get Jake well, Ensel. Who, maybe look at Anthony who, Mantha. <laughs> who knows Who knows Anthony Mantha better than anyone else? The Detroit Red Wings. And? Ken Holland. Yep. Because Ken Holland drafted him. Yep. And two others are looking for a winger. And last time I checked, teams in Alberta like it a little bit rough. See, last Saturday, specifically. On Hockey Night in Canada. I don't know. We're just... Okay, let's let's dots. have this conversation about... Let's have this conversation about Edmonton, okay? I don't think they should be trading for a goalie. At least not their best assets for a goalie. I don't see it. How many goalies... I know that Stuart Skinner's struggling right now, but so is the entire team around him. How, how many goalies are you going to get that are going to make you feel better than Stuart Skinner right now and are going to allow you, because you have to fortify your team too, and are going to allow you to fortify your team. Look, if you're going to go out and get UC Saros, 
I can't argue with that, but you're not going to be able to do anything else. So my whole argument is, do you, I think you fortify in front of Skinner. If you get help on your target, the best player you think you can get and then fill in the holes. Look, like Saturday, like Saturday night, we talked about Carrick and Henrique. I, I like tell me, are they a better team if they go out and they get two forwards and a defenseman, or a forward and a defenseman, or two forwards or whatever, or if you go out and you get a goalie? Like Kevin wants them to get Flurry. Flurry keeps saying he's not interested. Minnesota's in the race. But if you pay what you're going to have to get to move Flurry, are you going to be able to help yourself anywhere else? Plus, also, people keep saying to me that the Oilers have two million in cap room. They're also they're also carrying only twenty one players. Thank you. They don't. They have about a and, at deadline right now. It's a million bucks. It's a million bucks. Well, I mean, if you look at cap friendly and Puckpedia, it's it's closer to it's between two and three. But you can't no, carry no, 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 a full no, no. roster. That's it. Like they're riding thin, super thin yes. right now. Like that is technically that is the number, yes, but you know it's not going to stay there. So Oilers fans, I see all your links to Cap Friendly, but you're only <laughs> carrying 21 players. Right. They're running super lean to just accrue cap space. Well, let me hear, okay. So here's what here's what I think about with the with the goaltending. I think the Oilers want Stuart Scanner, obviously to be their guy and they don't want any problems in net, obviously. But the thing that I keep coming back to is, and here's the question that I always ask, are the shots gonna get easier or more difficult in the playoffs? And the answer is more difficult. And we saw what happened at the beginning of the season when the Oilers were leaking difficult shots. That's the one thing I keep coming back to on this one. Because I understand your point. Trust me, there's a, there's a few holes that the Oilers would like to plug. The only thing that I keep coming back to is, okay, we've seen Skinner play really well this year, right? That 16 heater was great for, for Stuart Skinner and the Edmonton Oilers. But I always think, are the shots getting easier or are the shots getting harder in the playoffs? And ask any goalie, they get more difficult. And Oilers have been through that, and it didn't look good. And how many times has great play by the blue line, great play by the forwards, been been completely undone by bad goaltending? That's the only thing, to your points, Elliot, that I keep coming back to, and I can't get off that one. You're wrong. No, you know I understand. No, I, I I understand what you're saying. But here's the thing: how many how many goalies in the league? Like I think Saros is one Saros for is sure. The guy. Who are available? Who yes. are available? Sar- this, that if, you think this, are definitely is, better than Skinner. This this is where Matthias Ekholm turns into general manager Ekholm and says, "Kenny, I know this guy." Who's like, and then and starts lobbying for the goaltender. I don't know. They did a great bit of business with Nashville last year at trade deadline. <laughs> Okay, but what that means is you can't do anything else. I understand. Likely. Or you can't do a lot, I should say. Not anything else, but you can't do a lot. I I live in in fear of the Ferraris that I have up front not being, like, all their good work being undone by bad goals. Like, the last thing you want is your team going into the playoffs and saying, okay, in our minds, we got to bank on at least one, maybe two bad goals this game. 
You can't have that. You can't have that. I mean, we'll see who turns out to be right here, but I think they make themselves a better team if they fortify and play better in front of Skinner. All right. Uh, I'd agree with you if you were right. That's yeah, and you know what? And, and I think they've got... I think they've got a lot going on. You know, Jeff, we mentioned Henrique. We mentioned Sam Carrick. And I don't think it's impossible that the Oilers try for both in the same deal. Another name I heard for the Oilers was Luke Cunning from oh. San Jose. I thought that was an interesting name. Like, just a guy with a little bit of an edge to him. By the way, I heard there was a few teams looking at Michael Grandlin from San Jose. Uh, I mentioned on one of the previous pods, I didn't know how much interest there was in some of their players. Somebody mentioned Grandlin to me, and someone else mentioned that they thought that Luke Cunning could be uh, on Edmonton's radar. Okay. Um, By the way, the Flames, yeah. watching that game on Saturday night. Was awesome. Yes, was It awesome. was a great Very game. Good. <laughs> I mean, Calgary, I you know, they, they tried to get Hannafin done. I... I think, I can't prove this, but I have a sneaking suspicion that they have continued to try occasionally to get Tanev done. And, but you have to be sitting there thinking, uh, looking at the flames. If they would have been able to keep these guys, you wouldn't want to see them as a seven or eight seed in the first round of the playoffs. Like watching them play on Saturday night, Markstrom, Tanev, Hannafin, with this Flames team in the first round of the playoffs, that would not have been a very fun team to play. Mm -hmm. And by the way, coming out of that night, who had, (laughs) this is so bizarre, who had Matthias Yanmark and Blake Coleman as having one of the best fights of the season? Man, Yanmark was—he's tough, man. I had—he was throwing—he was throwing jackhammers, bam, 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 bam. Holy smokes! I did not see that coming from Matthias. I, I just had Coleman as one of those rodeo guys that you just didn't want to fight. I'm with I, you. I didn't know yeah. that. That that somewhere in the wilderness of Sweden, someone turned Yanmark into a mountain man. But you know what I think a lot of us would have had? Corey Perry and Mackenzie Weaker. <laughs> yes. And we probably would have had Evander Kane cross the And Evander Kane and, and Nazem Kadri. <laughs> we know those two guys don't like each other. Those are entirely predictable. But everything else, like that was just a wonderful, wonderful Saturday night on, uh, on Hockey Night in Canada. Um, okay, let me ask you about the New Jersey Devils because going into the weekend, we said this is going to be pivotal, a pair of afternoon games, Montreal yeah. and then Tampa. So they beat Montreal. 4-3 is the final score. A bit yep. close for comfort. Nico Dawes, 23 saves in that one. And then they lose to Tampa. Four well, to your captain scores the goal that maybe saves your season in the moment, right? 100%. Nico Hischer. Yes, like, absolutely. Like in that moment, that's why he's the captain. He scores the goal that maybe saves your season. And then it's Akira Schmidt the next day. It's a 4-1 to loss to Tampa. Nikita Kucherov, it's a century mark. And now we say, New Jersey Devils, what now? You know, again, I'm going to say this until I turn blue in the face. The Devils made a business decision. They let 2D walk because they didn't like the contracts. I don't have a problem with the process. Then they lose Hamilton. 
So you're down three defensemen from your top six last year. Your second round team from last year. Plus you're not getting the goaltending. I think the only way, the only way you are making a coaching change if you believe that there is a coach that can do a better job with this lineup right now. Right now. And I ask you, hockey watcher Merrick, <laughs> do you believe that what is happening with the Devils is a coaching issue? No. Or it's just that Pump. they they're, they have they know, they're looking at their blue line and their goal, and they are saying we are simply not as good as we were last year. And the toughest the, thing to do is yeah. say there's a risk we might go backwards here. So speaking of blue in the face, you've heard me say this over and over again. Is this a question of coaching or composition? And to me, the New Jersey Devils, to your point, is composition. It is the blue line. It is the goaltending. That is the problem with the New Jersey Devils. They lost a lot of veteran guys in the offseason. Love Hughes, love Nemich, love what they're going to become. It's going to be great back there. Right mm -hmm. now, they need veteran players. They're going to get in the playoffs. They need veteran guys back there, and they need saves. And it's not happening. If I'm the Devils, I am going, I'm not targeting rentals. Uh, look, they could still make it. You know, the, the Philly thing, they're going to have to play at a, at, a, at a blistering pace. They've got no room for error. You know, I mean, Philly could determine this simply by what their roster looks like on March 8th at 3 p.m. That could have a lot to do with this. But if I'm the Devils, you, you have to find players with term. Someone said to me after the Flames won on Saturday night, the big winner was Craig Conroy because Tanev and Hannafin looked great and the prices just went up. Now, I don't know if New Jersey thinks it can sign Hannafin, um, but if it can, that's what they've got to be doing. They've got to be targeting guys with term. But, you know, again, like Lindy Ruff, he's the easy target. He's the coach. And I will say this. I like I ignore people who say, well, it's the media's fault because I, I I think it's kind of a lame excuse. I, I really do. And like I'm not one of those people. If someone takes a shot at the media, I feel like I have to give a shot back. You know, we dish it out. We should be able to take it. It just happens Amen. sometimes. Amen. I just I just yes. roll my eyes at it. And 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 I said this on your show on on Friday, there's a lot of really good people who cover hockey, New Jersey, both in traditional and non-traditional media. So I, but it's not like it's a market where there's a lot of pressure. Like look at Vancouver right now. They're, they're first in the league and it's still one of the most, like that's whoa, whoa, pressure. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's because of you. Yeah. That's okay. You. We'll get that's to that in a second. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's an intense market. Like that's pressure. Like you can yeah. you get it. Like the but the one thing about Lindy Ruff is like I, I remember once talking to him about Pat Quinn was going through it in Toronto, and you know I remember Wayne Gretzky like the 2006 Olympic team, the one in in Italy. 
Wayne Gretzky, there was a time where he said he was going to rehire Pat Quinn. It was always his job, but he waited longer to make the hiring because there was a time everybody thought Pat Quinn was going to get fired in Toronto and Gretzky was unsure what the proper timing was. And I remember talking to Lindy Ruff about that. And he said, that's life as a coach and you have to put your tortoise shell on and just take it. That is part of the job. And, you know, he said on Sunday after the game, he blamed himself. It's my job to get the team ready, which is kind of like what I expect. But again, like I'm looking at it with the Devils. The only thing that makes sense for me here is there a coach with a system and structure out there that's going to allow him to win like this. And that's the only way you make the change. Uh, you know what I wondered about or who I wondered about this weekend? Again, this is just spitballing on a podcast here. Um, mm-hmm. Let me back up because this was an interesting weekend for the Seattle Kraken. I'm going to get to my name here in a second. Yeah. So yeah. They, they beat the Vancouver Canucks five to two. Okay. We look at this, you know, this, this four game homestand here and say, okay, this is going to tell Ron Francis everything about his team and what he needs to do at deadline. So they beat Vancouver. It's the sunny side of the mountain. They turn around and lose to the Minnesota Wild 5-2, and we're on the shady side of the mountain now with Seattle. And the Kraken mm-hmm. have the Boston Bruins and the Pittsburgh Penguins coming up this week. If things go south and the Kraken really fall out of it more. Now, I know this player has term, one more season at a really good number. But is there any chance, because I would imagine the demand would be high, that they would move Adam Larson? Right shot. I've been I've been told no. We mentioned him on a podcast a couple of weeks ago Mm -hmm. about what a perfect person he would be for a lot of teams. Yep. And I was told that's not happening because I'm with you. I think Larson's a a great player. I'm a big Larson guy. Like the Seattle guys, I'm wondering about are Schultz, Tatar, Eberle. Um, I know they were supposed to talk with Eberly recently, and I had heard as long as term wasn't an issue, he was probably going to get signed. But, you know, obviously he's not signed yet. We mentioned Adam Larson on a podcast like two months ago about what a perfect fit yeah. he would be for teams, and someone told me, like, no chance. Do you think no about chance. Venberg here? Do you think about Venberg there as well? Ven- well, Larry Brooks, yeah, the Rangers. Um, you know, he's never scored as much as people kind of thought he would, but he's been pretty good this year. He's been, he's been pretty good. Okay. Before we get to the, uh, Montana's thought line, Vancouver Canucks, Elias Pettersson. Yeah. I, I really, I really do like how you tried to give this one a soft landing and tried to try to calm people down before you talked about it. But yeah, it's the Vancouver Canucks and it's Elias Pettersson. Look, I really do believe what we talked about on Friday's pod, which is that I don't know if there's actually been an, like an actual offer here. And again, I'm not interested in discrediting anyone else. I can't find any proof that there was an actual offer, but I do believe that he knows that they're going to throw a ton of money at him and they've discussed it conceptually. I just think that every day this goes where Pedersen doesn't commit, other teams are not doing their jobs if they don't call and say, what's going on here? 
like that's that's part of what this is. And I do believe that other teams have called and said, what's going on here? And the Canucks have said, look, we're trying to sign him. But I just think, again, I think that's just the best way to put it. The fact that there's no clarity leads to, we should call and find out what's going on here. And that's what I think is happening. The The other thing I think that is important here is like that Vancouver team had a hell of a win the other day, like a really impressive, that was a big win against Boston and JT Miller in particular was fantastic. I think, I, I think that that is a, a team led by Rutherford and Tockett that can handle this. I don't think they're thrilled that A, he's not signed, and B, this is news. But I think they're both really experienced. Like Jim Rutherford has seen everything. And Rick Tockett has seen everything. And I think they are really capable of handling the noise as well as anybody could. You know, I've said this to you before. Rutherford always wanted to be a GM in a Canadian market. And I think he loves this. I, I do. I think he really enjoys it. I think he enjoys the passion. I think he enjoys that he's somewhere where it really matters. And I think he can handle this. And I think that will get them through whatever happens here. But teams are calling them and saying, what's going on and where's this going? Now, the other thing that I should mention here is I did hear something else about Vancouver that was interesting. I don't think Vancouver's out of anything out there. Like It's just the way Rutherford is. But I heard they're not interested in giving up everything they're going to have to give up for two rentals. And so I think if they, you know, just because they gave up what they did to get Lindholm, if they have to give up another package to get something good, I don't think it's going to be a rental unless they know they can sign that person. That's the other thing I heard about them. They're, if they're going to have to do what it takes to do something not small, it's, some, it's someone that they want to keep. That's the other thing I heard about them. Okay, what I heard from all of that is Elias Pettersson for Matthew Barzell. Am I right about that one? Is that <laughs> one taken out of that comment? Okay. Let's just calm everybody down. Um, okay, that's the end of that block. Uh, there was a lot there. Hope you enjoyed it. We're going to come back with the Montana's Thought Line, where hopefully we can make Elliot's eyeballs roll back into his head. Thought Line next. Keep it here. Listen to the 32 Thoughts podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Time now for the Montana's Thought Line, Montana's Barbecue and Bar, Canada's home for barbecue, Elliot's. Try the ribs. So and, I would, oh yeah. And Dave Maloney points out uh-huh. that the New York Rangers oh, were 10 and 0 no. after trying the ribs. Oh, now, that's the first. I will say, I will say that Dave Maloney, who played 657 NHL games, did make one stunning mistake, unbecoming of a former captain of the Rangers and a gentleman with his hockey experience. 
Do you want to know what that? What's that? He sent it before they played the Blue Jackets. Oh, yeah. That's like uh, telling a pitcher he has a no-hitter going. That's right. And unfortunately, that winning streak came to an end about three (laughs) hours after Maloney sent that. But Montana's, not only did Montana's feed the Rangers broadcast team, but it started them on a great streak and (laughs) the ribs fixed Igor Shosturkin. (laughs) So you want to save, you want want to salvage your goaltending and you want to go on a 10 game heater. Uh, The secret is the ribs. Ladies and gentlemen, this year. By the way, I was at a PWHL game on Friday, Toronto and New York at Madame Athletic Center. And out of the blue, I'm walking up the stairs to go to the concourse. And this guy stands up and goes, Try the ribs. Oh, yeah. People are great. People and are I'm great. Like, no, you, no, you no, guys no. Wrong, are great. Wrong, wrong guy. Wrong guy. I'm the, the pecan salad guy. Wrong, wrong guy. But it took me back to the days when I would walk through CBC as a, a relative unknown. It's like, Who's that guy on TV? And I remember one guy once said to me, Hey, I desk. Not hey guy on the eye desk or hey orange, just hey eye desk. Reminded me of that one. It warmed warmed my heart. Try the ribs. Uh, thirty two thoughts at sportsnet.ca. One eight three 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 one one thirty two thirty two. Thirty two thoughts at sportsnet.ca. One eight three 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 one one thirty two thirty two. Rich in Knoxville, Tennessee. Hey Jeff and Elliot, love the pod. Was watching the Anaheim Buffalo game on President's Day, and in the first period, one of the officials was injured and had to leave the game, and it got me thinking. If both referees were injured during the same game, would one of the linesmen take over as ref, or is there an Eber emergency backup referee at every NHL game? Thanks. Keep up the great work. In in the playoffs, there's always backups. In the regular seasons, there are not. So, but there's been games before where players have done it, right? In the past. So. Elliot, yes, great pull. Uh, For that, we're going to have to go back to January 15th, 1983. The New Jersey Devils are playing the Hartford Whalers. Now, two officials, uh, Ron Fournier and Ron Asseltine, were traveling from Boston to the game, but there was a snowstorm. So, and there was only one linesman there, Ron Foyt. So, what happens in that situation is... One player from each team gets nominated to serve as linesman. Foyt became the referee. Those players were Mickey Vulcan of the Hartford Whalers and someone that we've talked about a lot and pound for pound, one of the toughest ever, Gary Gary Howitt. Howitt. No kidding. Well, that guy would know penalties. He committed a lot of them. (laughs) Well, that was like when Paul Stewart became an official. It's like, yeah, of course, Stewie's going to be a referee. He's he's been... (laughs) He's taken all the penalties before. Yeah, Gary Howitt and the New Jersey Devils and Mickey Vulcan of the uh, of the Hartford Whalers back in 1983. So that is what happens. But in a in a regular, regular like Elliot's bang on like playoffs, there's always a backup. Regular season, no, and they just deputize. Um, okay, one of, the, uh, one of the linesmen to be referee. I have a question for you. Okay, let's just say there was a game. Two teams of Sportsnet employees were playing against each other. Okay, and you had to pick. Two Sportsnet employees to referee. Two of them to be impartial and fair. Well, Who would you the, pick? The default is Ron McLean because he's done it. Before. No, no, Ron. I bet you Ron would call like a whole bunch of terrible penalties. <laughs> I would not want Ron in there. Okay, um, my first pick would be. He's. You know what? He's done too much refereeing. I'd be like, okay. no. I want someone who's fresh. 
Uh, I would. My first choice would be Jennifer Botterill. Mm, interesting. And you know, and you know, she'd be able to keep up as well uh, with the skating. Which you know, there's a Good lot of point. people that I would say like, okay, yeah, you can officiate, but can you keep up? Botterill can clearly keep up. I think for number two, who would be impartial and fair? You know what? And he has, and he has a hockey hockey background as well. Kyle Bacoskus, mm. Jen Botterill and Kyle Bacoskus would be my two choices. Who would yours be? Well, my first choice would be Carolyn Cameron. And, you know, it, what it says to me is that the fact that you named one of our female co-workers first and I named one of our female co-workers first is proof that we have phenomenal female co-workers and we work with a bunch of donkey men. That's what it says to me. <laughs> Fair that and b- true. Both of us, both of us, you know, picked uh, yeah. you picked Jennifer first and I picked yeah. Carolyn first. But yeah. I, I would pick Carolyn first. And I, I, I think my second pick would be Gary Galley. Really? Because if anybody lipped off to them, he would pound them into submission. <laughs> uh, so would Jamal Mayers. Uh, yes, so, yes. Uh, <laughs> he, would, he would do that too. Yeah. Uh, who else? Those are good picks. Up? Okay, so you got okay, Jennifer okay. And, and Kyle, okay. and I got I got Carolyn and, and Galley. That's good. That's that's a good. You notice who he left out deliberately? Kevin B. Who's that? Kevin B. Oh, he, he could never. David be Amber, official. Ken Reed. <laughs> like no, 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 no chance, no chance, no chance, no way. Sean McKenzie, no, uh-uh, day late, dollar short, no way, not gonna happen. Um, okay, let's get to. RJ from Clinton, New York, home of the historic Clinton Comets. Uh, legendary minor league team there, by the way. Um, yes, absolutely. So uh, the question here from RJ. Uh, Jeff and Elliot, enjoy listening to you guys. Well done. I feel like I'm waiting for Elliot to try the fried pickles and be blown away. That's <laughs> great, Elliot. Get on the pickles. Let's go. Okay. Mark Stone was recently placed on injured reserve once again. Forgive me if you've covered this in the past. I'm intrigued by the details behind placing a player on injured reserve. First of all, if we've covered it before, don't worry about it. It's good to sort of refresh, and there's always new people joining, so don't mind doing that at all, RJ. Uh, Does the NHL watch reoccurrences like this and or flag them? Has the team ever gotten in trouble for meddling in order to make cap room prior to playoffs? How does the NHL handle these types of affairs, which... Raises eyebrows for many around the NHL, Elliot. Uh, it, it, there's, it's certainly they certainly watch it a lot closer than they used to. Um, it used to be very laissez-faire, and then and then look, the team that really did it the first time was Chicago when they won their last Stanley Cup in 2015. Patrick Kane got injured against Florida. They went out and made some ads. And I think one of them was Antoine Vermette. And then Patrick Kane showed up game one of the playoffs in 2015, I think it was, and they won the Stanley Cup. And that was the one that really started to turn things around. And at the beginning, a lot of people credited Chicago for the, for the strategy. I, I've mentioned to you many times, I would do the same thing if I could, 100 times out of 100. But obviously, a couple of years ago, it really started to gain a lot of attention. 
And, you know, Vegas was the team that took a lot of criticism. And Vegas had a wild year where guys were going in and out with really serious injuries. Remember what happened with their goalies? Uh, Like, I don't know any of us had ever seen anything like that that happened with Vegas that year. And then things just really started to, the intensity, it started to intensify. The league really started to get harder on it. Um, You know, Shea Weber was another one. When it was reported that Shea Weber was shutting down after Montreal went to the Stanley Cup final, some people went, got really upset and they accused uh, um, a Montreal of trying to play shenanigans, especially with the expansion draft, right? So... Uh, And the league was, they got really tougher. Like they started making players get seen by doctors more. I know there were a couple of times they made, they made Weber report to uh, see a, a team doctor and in season, they do watch over it a lot more carefully. Look, like this Mark Stone injury is a legit injury. It's going to, I don't, like all the Vegas Golden Knights have said is week to week. But like I said, the last pod, if, if a lacerated spleen, like that's serious stuff. But, but I will say this, Vegas knows everybody's watching them. They've got Eichel back on a regular timeline. He's coming back soon. Um, Everybody freaks out, but if you, it, 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 but as it stands right now, I don't think that's going to be anything to worry about at all for anybody. But I do think the league monitors this a much more closely than they used to, and they force players to see uh, doctors and things like that just to make sure. Like I know when we- when that happened with Weber in Montreal after they went to the final. You know, the, they really grinded the Canadians about that and Weber about that particular situation. Excellent email. Uh, thank you so much for that one, RJ from Clinton. Uh, Mike in San Jose. This is creative, Elliot. I think you'll appreciate the creativity here. Hi, guys. Longtime listener, first time emailer. With the trade deadline around the corner, I had a question about a tradable asset. Okay. Yep. Pay attention here. San Jose Sharks received a 2023 second round pick from the Devils in the Timo Meyer trade last year. It also has a condition where the pick can become a 2023 first-round pick if the Devils make the conference final this year. This got me thinking. Could a previously agreed-to condition be traded? For example, if the New Jersey Devils wanted a player from the San Jose Sharks, could they simply make the second-round pick a guaranteed first-round pick? You can trade players, picks, future considerations. You cannot trade coaches, cash, or a bag of pucks. Was not sure about this one. Thanks, guys. The answer is no. Um, you like what you can do is you can guarantee a condition. I know this has happened in the past where a team has had a conditional pick based on something they do, and then they've wanted to make another trade with the, with that conditional pick, and they've gone to the league and said we're going to guarantee the condition like for example like this Bemstrom trade that just happened between Columbus and Pittsburgh basically if he scores a certain amount of goals it moves from a sixth round pick to a third round pick right I have seen situations where a team has that pick in limbo and says we need this pick to make another deal can we guarantee the condition and then so we can make this other deal that I have seen happen before. 
Like, for example, one thing they could do is, let's just say Pittsburgh wants to make a, a trade with their sixth round pick. And they go to Columbus and they say, look, and the league, we'd like to guarantee, you'll get the third rounder for Bemstrom. We need this sixth round pick for something else. You can do that. That you can do. But you can't say, oh, it's a sixth or a third. Can we make it a fourth, saw it off, so we can do something else? You can't do that. Creative marks for creativity, Elliot. There was there was marks a deal a few years ago, and I don't remember it off the top of my head, where some team had a conditional trade and they needed the pick to do another trade. And so with that other team in the league, they guaranteed the condition and they used the pick that was now freed up to make another trade. That has happened before. Okay. Full marks for creativity there. So a couple more here. Lucas from Cleveland. Greetings from Hockey Hotbed, Cleveland, Ohio. Can't wait for expansion. Love the podcast. As a fan of chaos as well as hockey, I sometimes wonder what rule changes would look like in other sports. For instance, what if basketball allowed changes on the fly like hockey? It got me wondering, did hockey always allow changes on the fly? If not, when did it start? Were rosters ever smaller and players spent more time on the ice? It seems to me changing on the fly really adds to the speed of the game, and I wonder if that evolved over time with rule changes and roster size expansion. If you're ever in Cleveland, we don't have Montana's, so make sure you check out the ribs at Michael Simon's Mabel's Barbecue Elliott's. So write that one down. You've got a spot in Cleveland. Well, I have to say this. Like, you go to places like Kansas City. You go to places like uh, Carolina. There are great rib joints all around the U.S. All around the U.S. Like, I know that doesn't count for you because you're you're plant Merrick. (laughs) But for people who do eat meat... Yeah. You wherever city you go in, you have to find the hidden rib places. There are so many good ones around the United States in particular and Excellent. Canada. So a couple of things on this one, and I want to ask you a question. First of all, the PCHA did this, uh, the old Pacific League, Frank and Lester Patrick. They were the innovators of it. But as far as the NHL goes, this didn't changes on the fly. Didn't didn't start until 1927-28. That was the year they had a lot of changes in the league. Uh, where the teams change ends at the end of a period, the forward pass and the defensive and neutral zone. Uh, they standardized the three 20-minute periods. New nets came in, the ones that Art Ross designed. Uh, you got a penalty for deliberately shooting the puck out of play. So that's when it started in the NHL. Now, Elliot, here's one for you. There was, after the 1974 Stanley Cup Final, Philadelphia and Boston, that game six, which was one nothing for Philadelphia, That game took over three hours to play, and the NHL decided that's too long. We need to shorten our game. We need to speed it up. So in 1974-75, they tried this in exhibition, not in regular season. They came up with an exhibition. You could only change on the fly. When there's a whistle blown, that's the group that goes to the dot. You only change on the fly as a way to speed up games. And actually, if my memory serves, there was one NHL exhibition game in that exhibition season that was under two hours. 
because of this, only changing on the fly. Now, the NHL didn't adopt it for the regular season. The American Hockey League did. They tried it for one full season, and then they ditched it. But what do you think of the idea of only being able to change on the fly as a way to shorten the games? No, I, I, I'm not in favor of that. I think they've done a lot of really good things to shorten the games. Games now, I, I should check the times because a couple of years ago, they were as short as they've ever been. I like, You know, basically now, unless you're getting like a really long shootout, everything is under two and a half hours. How much shorter do you want it to be? I'm just saying in the, in the, the, the sports market right now, where a, we live in a uh, short attention span economy, but also wonder, you want people to have value for their tickets, right? Yes. I think, I, I don't know. I, I think it's at a certain point. I, I wouldn't do that. I'm against that. The reason that I'm against it isn't that. My reason against it is player safety. Because well, if, there's you don't that let, too. If, if, if you don't let players change at a whistle, you're leaving tired players on the ice and tired players equal injury. That would be my well, I th argument. I think it. also the it also the 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 fewer amount of like skate blades you have flying around the bench is also better. Fair. Okay, let's finish up with a voicemail. Uh Sam in Carolina. I am a pest control operative and I have had the privilege of servicing several of both current and former Carolina Hurricane players. And it's always fun interacting with them outside of their normal environment. My question is, what is your craziest interaction with a player or an executive completely outside and unrelated to the hockey environment? Thanks. Good job, Jeff. Good job, Dom. <laughs> By the way, Samuel, which I also which, which Carolina <laughs> Hurricane player do you think has the worst <laughs> pest control problem on the team? I don't know, but whoever it is, I can sympathize because I work in pest control. I've worked with you for how many years? Put him bomb. That's very good. Um, oh, wait, you I know what? I wonder if this guy's ever serviced Brent Burns' house. Oh, with all the reptiles. Oh, for sure. That's got to be the one. No, that's don't touch that one. That's my pet. Oh, no, that's the one over <laughs> what you, there. What are you doing? No, leave that. <laughs> uh, no, that's Steve. No, leave Steve alone. Um, <laughs> I have one. <laughs> I have one Pest control hockey, person could really get into in trouble hockey. at Brent Burns' house. <laughs> Brent Burns' house. My, um, <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to say this on the air. Here I go. This uh, this would have been well. It's with Sean. It's with Sean Connery. So there used to be a bar in downtown Toronto called Bistro Nine Ninety, and when the oh, film yeah. festival was that on, that was a big place. Yeah, we remember big Bistro Nine Ninety. Yeah, it was a good spot. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so when the film festival was on in Toronto, uh, that was one of the places that could stay open until like I don't know, like five o'clock in the morning or something like that. There's special dispensation for certain establishments when the film festival rolled through. So I was in there one night during the film festival. And I go downstairs to have a squirt and Sean Connery pulls up next to me. Like it's like James Bond. And I'm like, holy smokes. And sure enough, he's got like the Scotland forever tattoo. I'm like, this is incredible. And he does the, you've done this move before where you've been over poured and you're having a squirt and you put your head on the wall in front of you. And he closed his eyes no, and I wasn't never sure happened. whether he had fallen never asleep done that before. or <laughs> <laughs> or hadn't fallen asleep or not. I'm like, did Sean Connery just fall asleep while having a squirt next to me? So that was my 
big sort of out of business brush with fame or success that I will uh, take uh, to the crematorium with me one day. The other one is a hockey one. And it was uh, me and my ex, this would have been around 2004, 2005. We're staying at a bed and breakfast on Niagara on the Lake, a really lovely place called Davy House. It's a historic place. Um, Really hard to get a room there too. And so stayed there the first night got up for breakfast and was having breakfast with uh, with the husband who owned the place. And we started talking and he's like, yeah, I recognize you from the radius when I was doing the Leafs Lunch Show with Bill Waters. And he goes, yeah, I recognize your voice. I listen to you and Billy all the time. You know, I used to play professionally in Toronto too. And I looked at him like, you played for the Maple Leafs? He says, no, I played with the Toros. It was Jeff Jakes. So Jeff Jakes was a mm. traffic in the NHL, the California Seals. He played for the Toros for a couple of years, was with them when they went to Birmingham as well. And he goes, you'll appreciate this. And so we went for a walk uh, up the stairs into his bedroom. And in his closet, he had under wrappers in pristine condition, one blue and one white, one home and one road, Toronto Toros jersey. One of each, he goes, my my kids are old enough, they're each getting one. And these things, Elliot, were gorgeous. Uh, that's the one for me, meeting Jeff Jakes in Niagara-on-the-Lake. What do you got? Well, those are good ones. I have two. I think I've told one on the pod before and one I have not. The one I think I have said in the pod before was... Uh, I, I believe it was it was one of the Stanley Cup finals in Dallas and we were flying out of Dallas and uh, I was sitting in my seat and uh, on came to the plane came a, a very attractive woman who was trying to put her bag up on, uh, in the overhead compartment and it, it just it was having a tough time. Was it so no, uh, no, no, Jeff. It was it was not oh, Faye Dunaway, oh, but okay. good guess on, on a fishing trip there. Yeah, okay. Well, you know what, Faye Dunaway, very striking woman. But anyway, it was not her. Anyway, she was struggling to get her bag up, and I got up out of my seat and I helped uh, put the bag up, and I sat back down. And I have to tell you, she turned to me and said, thank you. And it was the most naturally beautiful person I have ever seen before. I was like, wow. And I sat back down and I was sitting next to an elderly woman. And she said to me, that was a really smooth move, but you have no chance with her. And I laughed and I said, well, you're probably right, but how do you know I have no chance with her? She goes, you don't know who that is? And I said, no, I, I don't know who that is. And I would say it was very early in her career. Um, it was Jessica Simpson. And no uh, I remember the next <laughs> month she was on the cover of Maxim magazine. Like that's when she was really starting oh, wow. to hit yeah. it big. So, so that was one. And the other one I will say, this is a kind of embarrassing story. I don't remember the year this was, but we were doing a game in Montreal the story is what, sounding great. I don't remember the, this. But no, I don't remember what game it was. <laughs> but we were doing a game in Montreal, and Lisa Litvak, who used to work at the NHL and now does work with Spitting Chicklets, she was the witness to this. Oh. And so I was about to do a big interview. I cannot remember for the life of me who it was. But I thought it was the prime minister at the time, Paul Martin, but the time doesn't line up. So I don't think it was that one, but it was a big interview and my mind was on that. And 
I was not thinking about anything else. I was just like, okay, be prepared for this interview. And this is what you're going to ask. And I was, I was going to the elevator and I said, I was talking with Lisa about this interview I was about to do. And someone said to me, you should, you know, you should interview is here tonight. And I said, who he goes, Russell. No, not fade. He said, Russell Martin, the catcher. No way. Yes. And he was with the Dodgers at the time. He's a Montreal guy. He was born in Montreal, wasn't he? Yes. He was playing for the Dodgers at the time. Now I'm a big baseball fan. I know who Russell Martin is, but in that moment, I was not thinking about Russell Martin. I was thinking about my interview. And so I go, that would be great. Is he here tonight? And the guy goes, yes. And I go, do you know where he's sitting? And he winked. And I'm like, oh, damn it. I'm talking to Russell Martin. And Lisa laughed her head off. She thought it was really funny. I was like, this is not fair. I was thinking about my interview. So I was clued out that I was talking to Russell Martin. It was, uh, so those would be my two, I would say. I did, I I think there was one time at Shark City, which used to be a bar in Toronto. Oh, by the fan, yeah. Young and ugly. Yeah, that's right. I, I played pool once against Isaiah Thomas and got my ass kicked. Uh, but that would be another one. <laughs> That's good. I like I like I like um, I like bewildered Elliot stories. I, I like those. Yes, and we also like. As you know, too. I have tunnel uh, vision, so when I'm like that, <laughs> those things can happen yeah, to know. me. Uh, I have that experience with you often when you get the uh, those horse blinders on. Trust me, I know. Uh, the Montana Style Line, Montana's Barbecue and Bar, Canada's home for barbecue. Back in a moment. Ah, Elliot, yet another start to another week. Now, other than the 32 Thoughts podcast, there's eh, not much else really to look forward to. Jeff, you are forgetting about Montana's daily deals. Their chicken wings are double dusted in-house, cooked to a golden crispy finish, and they're half price on Mondays. Uh, Half price? Half price every Monday and sauced however you like them. Well then, head on down to Montana's Barbecue and Bar for half price wings every Monday. The only other thing exciting about Mondays. Some conditions apply. Visit montanas.ca for details. Okay, welcome back to the podcast. 32 Thoughts presented as always by the GMC Sierra. And I don't know about you, Elliot, still buzzing off that Patrick Kane overtime winner. Uh, that is clearly the story coming out of the weekend leading into this week. And also, this is going to be an intriguing week around Winnipeg, where the commissioner, Gary Bettman, will visit and will visit with sponsors. And we strongly suspect as well, remind Manitobans to buy your Winnipeg Jets tickets. You know, some people were saying, oh, you know what? They they do everything they can to save Arizona. They're not trying to save Winnipeg. I, I don't think that's fair. I, look, he put the team back there. He's fought very hard for Canadian teams in the past. Um, like, I don't think one has anything to do with the other. The only thing, I'm not crazy about the timing of all of this in terms of how public it's been. Right now, look, on Sunday night, the Jets won again. Okay, they they beat the Coyotes uh, in overtime. If you if you look at the Jets in their division, they're they're not in first place, 
but they have games in hand and their 688 winning percentage. It's first in the Western Conference and it's second in the league, two points behind Florida. The only thing I don't like about this is that they're winning. Let the winning sell. They're having a great year. Look, there's a lot of things you can do. You can you can make sure that you're treating your clients, your fans properly. You you can make sure you're having a good in-game experience. You know, we've talked about on this pod before how we love their social team. We they're very funny, very creative. Yeah. I really like watching them. Fans are too there. <laughs> but but the number the number one thing that you need is you need a winning team. Now you still have to do all those things. You have to make your clients happy. You have to make your customers happy. You have to make it so that when you go to a game, you're going to have fun. You're going to have a good time. All of that is important. But your number one thing is winning. And they are winning this year. The players and the management and the coaches, they are holding up their end of the bargain. I just think you let that speak. You don't want to take away from the winning. Even though it's important to sell tickets, your best chance for selling tickets is you have a good team. And even though Bettman's coming in, you can make it private. You can say he's going to talk to our fans. He's going to talk to our season ticket holders. He's going to talk to our sponsors. I just think when you're winning, don't take away from that karma. That's the only thing. It's the only thing I don't like about the timing. You have to take care of your business. I recognize that. But just let the W's speak because that's a good team and it's a fun team to watch. Big week coming up for them as well. Gary Bettman is in town on Tuesday. The team takes on the St. Louis Blues. The team also faces off against the Dallas Stars on Thursday. Big one for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, Listen, wherever you're watching, whomever you're watching, enjoy it. Podcast returns Friday morning as per usual. Have a great week. (laughs) 